Hello, hello. Welcome to another stop on the Michelle Mission, Two Men, One Podcast, every black film ever made. I am your host, Vincent Williams, joined as always by my partner. Yo, what's up? Holla at your boy. This is Len, a.k.a. the Bat Tribble. And on this stop, as we celebrate Women's History Month, we are looking at the performance of an icon in black popular culture, Diana Ross, in her starring vehicle, her first starring vehicle, 1972's Lady Sings the Blues, the loose biography <laughs> of equally or perhaps more iconic black popular pop culture figure billy holiday the choice of lynn webb but before we do that as always we like to thank each and every one of you that offers your feedback to us via instagram twitter facebook and email at michomission at gmail.com where we heard from sherry d hey what's up sherry in response to eddie murphy music and paul robeson Hi, Len and Vince. Hey. Thanks for the life episode. I just recently rewatched it, so it was fresh in my mind while listening to your discussion. Don't you think it would have been cool if when Eddie Murphy's character opened up his daddy's watch, it played a music box version of Party All the Time? (laughs) Okay, maybe not. Too distracting from the sentimental moment. But here's a question for you. Is there an Eddie Murphy song that you dig? Oh, oh, you know my joint. Well, wait a minute. She offers up she offers up a few um, okay. selections. Red light. Put your mouth on me. Oh, no. Not put your mouth on me. She went deep. Boogie in your butt. She went a little deeper. Yeah, get a boogie in your butt. What's up with you with (laughs) Michael Jackson? Ever see that video? I thought that was what's up with that. Well, she says with you. What's up with you? Okay. (laughs) That man put out quite a bit of music. Uh, And now for something completely different. (laughs) I came across this info and just wanted to share it. Rutgers University is celebrating the centennial anniversary of Paul Robeson's graduation from Rutgers. Nice. There's info on their website about Paul Robeson's life and his time at Rutgers, including the racism he experienced there. Of course. Is there anything that this great man couldn't do? So iconic. I have a favorite Paul Robeson song, Waterboy, but I haven't seen enough of his films. Do you have a favorite Paul Robeson film or a recommendation? As always, thanks for all that you give us. Best, Sherry D. We are way overdue to do some Paul Robeson. Very true. Like, like now that you've actually brought it up, I'm, I'm a little ashamed that we haven't done any Paul Robeson. Now, I haven't seen a lot of Paul Robeson, but I'm a fan of the Emperor Jones. Mm. Mm. I know of that movie. I actually just haven't seen any Paul Robeson. Well, I guess I know what we're going to be doing right after Women's History Month. Yeah, we're going to have yeah, to. Yeah, we need to. We, yeah, that's, that's actually quietly disgraceful. We haven't done any Paul Robeson. I don't think it's disgraceful. I think it is that, no, we're, that we're 100 plus and we haven't done a Paul Robeson film. That's not disgraceful. It's a little disgraceful. No, it's not. That's all right. We, we're going to get over that 
momentarily. We're doing every black film. I ever. know. We I have know. to save some. We have to save some. All right. Yes. All right. So. I mean, we did the monkey hustle, and we haven't done improv. That wasn't my fault. I, that's why I chose. One, <laughs> you know. As far as Eddie Murphy song, I actually unironically really like Party All the Time. I think Party All the Time is a solid 80s Rick James produced song. Okay. All right. It's a it's a catchy little number. It's an earwig. Here you go. Didn't plan on making this argument today. Party All the Time is just as good as any Mary Jane girl song. Okay. <laughs> That's not even a bar. Vince, but that's, it a speed, is. that's a speed bump. My house is a solid R and B song. Party on the time is is not as good as my house. My Party house, on time is as good as my house. No, it's not. My house has a beat. Yes, right now you put that on, it gets people to the dance floor and they are dancing hard. Ironically, and be, just kind of like be swaying because it was Eddie Murphy. People didn't take it as seriously as it should have been taken. Which, to be fair, my house shouldn't have been taken but so seriously. True, but that is an actual song. Like if Rick James would have recorded "Party All the Time," that would have been a solid later Rick James song. Maybe because you would have had Rick James, you know, growl. Yes. On those lyrics, as opposed to Eddie's, you know, soft, you know, <laughs> so 
No, so so maybe then, right? But not because of the music. The Mary, the Mary Jane girls, my house. They they're singing is they're they're not great singers. They're not great singers at all. They're I think, not great singers. I think Eddie Murphy is as good of a singer as any of the Mary Jane girls. True, but you put you put what they are bringing, you know, musically to that on top of a better music track than is on Party All the Time, and that's why that's a better song. I, I think they're equally as good, and I love the fact that we just spent like three to five minutes talking about the musical merits of Party All the Time. You know who also loves this? Eddie Murphy. Eddie Murphy. <laughs> and I've said it before, I'll say it again. I actually like How Could It Be. No. I actually... Honestly, I, like how could it be? See, I ha- I have to question your ears. I, look. I do that one is really bad. But there is something that I meant to mention when we talked about life. Speaking of Eddie Murphy referencing himself, did you pick up the Harlem Knights reference in life? Mm, no. What was it? When he's fighting, dude, about the cornbread. Yes. And dude knocks him down, and then when Eddie Murphy gets up. He says, I know a Bruh. named Della that hits harder than you. Oh, did he say that really? Yes, he did. Wow. I didn't I did not pick I did not It's the first out. time I've ever heard him say it, and it made me laugh. Wow. That's a good one. Yeah. That that's a that that's a that's a good one. All right, Eddie. All yeah. Right. I give you I give you I gave you that one. That was that was good, dog. That was good. Um so thank you, Sherry. Yeah, thank you, Sherry. Thank you for your for your email. Speaking of um Life, which we did last week, I asked out there to our Michaud missionaries whether or not they felt that Life was possibly the best movie of Eddie Murphy or Martin Lawrence's career. Right. Or merely their last good movie. Right. Right. So we got a few responses. Um, Science Stuff with Steph said that this is definitely one of her favorite movies. Yes. Uh, as well as Dorian Missick. Hey, what's up, Dorian? Said this is one of his favorite comedies ever made. Sir Lucky LaSaint said that Boomerang is, in his opinion, Eddie's best movie. That's that's a good that's a good one. Andre Bennett said Eddie did Bowfinger later that year and Dreamgirls after that to prove that he still had stuff left in the tank. Wow. I did not know Bowfinger was the same year as life. I didn't either. Yeah. Makes sense, though. It does make sense because I do remember having a period where he broke my heart again. Like, Eddie Murphy has broken my heart several times where I think, this Oh, really? Is, like, this is it. He's back. Mm-hmm. And then he goes back to his mansion and makes that music that don't nobody want to hear. <laughs> like, party all the time? Or red light. Mm-hmm. I don't know Red Light. Yeah, that was part of his reggae period a few years ago. Did he really have a reggae period? Oh, don't go down that rabbit hole. The short answer is yes. Mm. Mm. Okay. Uh, Let's see. Other people. Dorian is refuged. Not sure who that is, but Dorian refused. Okay. On Instagram said, I love life. But 48 Hours 48. is Eddie's best work. Mm. Um, Dorian also says 
His voice work in Mulan and Shrek is some of the best ever as well. Okay. By the way, I love your show. It makes me occasionally appear possessed to my coworkers when I suddenly laugh out loud. Well, thank you for that. That's a compliment that I've learned to really treasure as we've done. The people who threaten their livelihoods by laughing out loud for no reason because they're listening to us in the workplace. Yes. I like that. I do, too. Um, Joanne Blaylock says, I'm not, hey, a fan, I'm not a fan of this movie. Oh, okay. It's depressing. Yeah. I find it difficult to laugh at the circumstances. Yeah. But I look forward to, he- to the review. Yeah. Yeah. Again, I, yeah. You, you know, we, we She's we, on that same level that, that Summer was. Right, right, right. We talked about that a lot. I, I really do think, you know, your mileage may vary, as they say. I think they stick the landing. Mm-hmm. But I do completely understand why people can't sign up for life. Christopher Goodnight says... Hey, what's re- up, Christopher? In regards to Martin Lawrence, that his best film may be either Blue Streak or Nothing to Lose. I don't remember... I don't remember Nothing to Lose. Anything about Blue Streak. I remember Nothing to Lose. It's, it's That's Martin Lawrence and um, Andy, Duf- Andy Dufresne. Oh, Tim Robbins? Tim Robbins. Mm. I don't remember much about that. I don't remember much about that. I remember Blue Streak. I remember Blue St- liking Blue Streak when I first saw it. Right. And maybe liking it maybe once or twice after that, but his shtick really. Yeah, I'm not a real big Martin Lawrence fan. I actually l- thought that Thin Line Between Love and Hate ages better than you think it does like i watched That's him and lynn whitfield L- right? him and lynn, lynn whitfield and bobby brown oh boy. yeah I, wa- I ended up watching like a half hour of that a few months ago and i remember thinking you know what this is not that bad now in my defense lynn whitfield does all of the heavy lifting yes like all of the heavy lifting mm-hmm. but you know as sort of uh um Oh, I'm losing all of my all of all of my stuff. See, this is what I'm talking about. I couldn't do. Like I'm 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 tired. <laughs> I'm actually just tired. Um, because you had that big party. This yeah, and, and then I and then we're having work done in the house, and you know how it is when they're doing work in the house, and it's like everything is just sort of unsettled. Yes. So like my feng shui isn't where it needs to be. So like I didn't sleep that well. Not dangerous liaisons. What's the joint? With Glenn Close and Michael Douglas, and she boiled the cat. Oh, um, Fatal Attraction. Fatal Attraction. Right. As a Fatal Attraction riff, mm-hmm. a thin line between love and hate, I think ages much better than I would have expected it to. So I'm, I'm going to say that's my favorite Martin Lawrence film. And unlike you, I am actually a fan of the Bad Boys films. No, I didn't say I wasn't a fan of them. Oh, I thought fa- you said you didn't like them. I mean... It's not that I no. It's not that I I don't like the Bad Boys films. I just think that Martin Lawrence chemistry with Eddie Murphy is better than his chemistry with Will Smith. Oh, absolutely. I'm not that's saying that they, they don't correct. have chemistry. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, that's absolutely correct. But I just think it's it's better. Now, I like the Bad Boys films. Yeah. And you know, and but I I recognize for them just to be the big dumb loud noise fest right 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 
Um, I don't need a Bad Boys Three. Right. I know they're trying. They're, I think they're actually. Well, what I'm hoping is that they fold Bad Boys into its spiritual successor. Fast and the, the, the Fast and the Furious films. Like I really that would work. Like see, I would really love them to show up in the Fast and the Furious. I would see now. You know what? I would go for that. I would go for. Did that. you watch the trailer for Hobbs and Shaw? Yes. <laughs> they're, they're going full superhero. Yes. They're going full. Well, this, this is what I'm talking. <laughs> like I need Fast and Furious to just get more and more ridiculous in each film. See, but this is why. This is also why Vin Diesel is mad because Vin Diesel was the superhero yes. of the Fast and Furious movies. Too bad. And as long as they were in that Fast and Furious right, right, world, right. Yeah. he would always be the superhero. He was the one who would make the, the large, the Gorgon stomp yeah. with his leg and bring down a freaking parking lot. Hey, well, hey, hey, Tom goes on. Right. But the second you put in the, the rock. real right, right, American right. superhero, right, right. the rock in there, right. and then when you put in the other real superhero, Jason Statement in yeah. there, oh, yeah. Vin Diesel, oh, oh, that's nice. Yeah. The actor wants to be a superhero. Yeah. Excuse me. Let me show you how this is done. Oh, yeah. And then they just said, well, you know what? You can have your fast, and you can be all furious. We're going to take... Superman and Batman and put them over here and have them fight the Bionic Man. <laughs> like one manly tear came down my eye when they said that um that Idris Elba's character had some type of cybernetic implants and training. I said they've gone full superhero. <laughs> Yeah. This is everything that I've wanted. Because yes, the next film, it's gonna be UFOs yeah. or Atlantis or something. Yes. So yeah, they're just gonna cross over with everything. But I feel like oh, they're gonna cross over with Men, men in Black, with Men in Black and, and Bad Boys. Oh. Boy. <laughs> I'm I'm there for it. I am there for these stupid ass movies. <laughs> that is what I'm talking about. <laughs> Blow up some stuff. Cars, yes, you know, I'm with it. Planes, all of it. I'm with it. All right, what were we talking about? I forgot. <laughs> I was going someplace too. All I right, we got something else from the missionaries. Cause now I'm all in okay. my Fast and Furious <laughs> yeah. mode. Oh, we were talking. All right, but I got to read Markham Lee because all right, hey, what's up, point. Markham? Be, um, about Eddie Murphy and Mark and Martin Lawrence. Yeah, he says it's easily. Uh, life is easily Eddie's best dramatic role. If it was marketed and presented differently, it could have been the transition to drama and Oscar bait Eddie seems to want. Ultimately, though, the problem is, A, putting Eddie and Martin in the same movie, people expected comedy. He hadn't done true drama yet. They would have been better off pairing him with an actor known for drama. Don Cheadle, perhaps, would have been perfect. And mm. B... The commercials focused on comedy. I went in expecting funny, but got this sad and all too real story about two black men being railroaded. Great movie, though. Yeah. That's interesting. So if Don Cheadle had played Martin Lawrence's part, that's an interesting pair because Don Cheadle is also funny. Very funny. But he is an actor. Yes. 
And I don't know, because you do get the sense that Martin Lawrence, Eddie Murphy, Bernie Mac, Miguel Nunez, you know, all of these people with this comedic background, Mm -hmm. there is a level of riffing. Some. That I'm wondering if Don Cheadle is in it, does he break that up a little bit? Well, I got a funny feeling Don could could riff with the Don can too. Don can also riff. But I don't really get the sense of a lot of riffing in the movie, except maybe sometimes. I mean, yes, there are some occasions, but I think for the most part, like Miguel Nunez, I don't think he's riffing a lot. Right. Oh, no, no, no. I just meant the energy of it. Okay. And then by the energy, kind of like we talked about, I, I think you have one part of the cast and crew that is just so geeked to be somewhere with Eddie Murphy. Mm-hmm. And then you have Eddie Murphy who's so geeked to be in an environment where, where and, and, and Markham or someone mentioned it, like at this point in his career, mm-hmm. like he's already gotten a couple of critical hits and, you know, not critical hits, but hits critical as in the critics have hit him. Because mm-hmm. he's made a lot of garbage movies Yeah. by the time he's made life. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I know his hackles are up. Like, I don't know if this is before or after <laughs> the Saturday Night Live bit, bless you, with the trans, you know, the transvestite prostitute. But I know Eddie Murphy felt like he had let his guard down. Yes. In life. Yes. In he, was, a way. He, was, he was scratching his way back up. Right. So, you know, it's, I don't know. It's a good what if. It is definitely. It's a good what if. Very. And again, I am really looking forward to this Dolomite project. I am too. Um, We don't have a a whole lot of time, but I did want to touch on one thing, one piece of casting that was uh, done recently. You know that they are rebooting or remaking Candyman. Yes. Now, they, they have cast. Yeah. In Candyman, uh, Yaya, Yaya Abdul-Mateen. Yeah, that's right, who, who we have seen most recently is Black Manta and yes. Aquaman. Yes. Yes. And they have also cast uh, your girl. I know. From I... If Beale Street Could Talk. Kiki Lane. No. Not Kiki Lane. No, my other girl. Yeah, and and the the thing is not, is not working because I'm trying to. Trying yeah, to... From, uh, from Mad Men. From uh, Chirac. Oh man, oh man, it's, it's now now I'm losing it. Uh, ta ta ta. Jesus, DaCosta. Well, Nia DaCosta is producing it with Jordan Peele, right? Um, but cast in Candyman. Let me find. Let me find it real quick, ladies and gentlemen. Hopefully, I can edit all of this again. Out. I'm I. I She's always on my mind, but I'm burnt. Tiana Paris. Tiana Paris. They cast Tiana Paris. I saw that. She is also going to be in Candyman. And I hope this is her breakthrough role. I do, too. You know, we've been pulling for her for years. But my my, I do, too. However... The original Candyman, which was cast with Tony Todd and Virginia Madsen, yeah, there definitely was some juxtaposition because that was a white woman. Yes, with Candyman, uh, they haven't mentioned who Tiana's Plain. character is going to right, be. Right, right. So, 
if she plays Virginia Madsen's character, that loses a little bit of that edge. Yeah, but I think the only reason it really had as much of the edge as it did was because it was 1987. Oh, oh, man, you don't think in today's climate that still wouldn't have an edge? Yeah. I think so. I don't, yeah. In Jordan Peele's hands? Yeah. No, no, I'm saying the black man terrorizing the white woman part of it. I don't think it's as um, spittle in the corner of your mouth. Yeah, but it wasn't about them. It wasn't about him terrorizing her, even though it no, was. No, but, but was right. That was the but whole that backstory. Was, yeah, but that it. was the subtext. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think, I don't think you need that in 2019. You know? And uh, and we talked about this in the Candyman episode. A lot of it, well, I can see the Candyman story making much more sense with an entire black cast, Mm -hmm. especially if they keep that part of the mythos, the mythos that he's connected to this project, this housing project. And I trust Jordan Peele. Did you happen to watch the trailer or the uh, commercial for Twilight Zone? I did. What do you think? Oh, well, I'm first, interested. Are you a Twilight Zone guy? Yes, very much. Okay, so so what do you think? I'm interested in it. Um, I'm, I am very interested in it. I trust Jordan Peele. He quickly has gotten my trust. Uh, I just want to see. I just want to see him pull it off. I do too, and I do have to say. That I got a Black Mirror vibe off of it, mm-hmm. which is bad because I think anyone who tries to do Black Mirror is going to fail immediately. Well, so I'm hoping that it's not a Black Mirror. Like you know, obviously it's it's. But I don't think it's going to be Black Mirror. I think you can't help but have that right kinda... just because there's some tech. There's yeah. got to be some technology involved. Right, but but I, I or that aesthetic or that aesthetic even that feel. But but like you, I do trust Jordan Peele. Mm-hmm. But but you know, I'm actually reading here though. There's a report from the Hollywood Reporter that Yahya Abdul Mateen the second. You give him his, his propers. He's actually in talks to play an artist who becomes obsessed with the bloody legend of. Candyman. Oh, that's interesting because everything that I read said that he was playing Candyman. Well, I know, and they said that this, that was something that everybody jumped on. Um, the character that Yaya is in talks to play is actually a character that Lakeith Stansfield was previously in talks to play. Yeah. Um, but, 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 but the Hollywood story, the Hollywood Reporter story, doesn't mention Stansfield at all, which suggests that his talks fell through. And Abdul Mateen the second is now being eyed for that part. If true, that means that the new Candyman hasn't actually cast its Candyman yet, or that there maybe is a huge twist in the film where the main character be- somehow becomes, becomes Candyman. Candyman, which I could see. So maybe there's space for Tony. Yeah. Yeah, because I'm still holding out that that Tony's in it. Yeah. Tony Todd. Yeah, I, so am I. So am I. I mean, well, I call him Tony because we know each other. Well, I call him Tony because <laughs> I've got his number. You've got his phone number. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So let me text Tony real quick. Uh, <laughs> Tony, what can you tell me about what this Candyman? This Candyman, probably nothing. 
probably nothing right in there. Oh, real quick, before we get into our review, um, I have to say, I don't know if you've been checking it out, Vince. Uh, we, you know, because we have the CBS All Access and that yes. so we can do uh, Star Trek Discovery. Yes. I watched a few episodes of Tell I, Me a Story. I'm so glad you brought that up. I've been meaning to bring that up, too, because we've... Yes. And... Starring Dorian Missick. And I like it. It's not bad. It's not bad at all. It's not bad. Yeah. Now, I'll be honest. I'll be honest, Dorian. Don't be mad at me, bruh. I, I, I kind of stay away from these modern-day fa- fairy tale things. Dude, we're the same person. Go ahead. You go ahead and finish. I, stay- I ain't going to let you hang out because I'm I'm right with you. I kind of stay away from them, you know, once upon a time and everything like that because I, for the last 10 years, was reading Fables. Fables. Yes. My favorite comic book of all time. Is it really? It's it, it's If it's not my favorite, it's up there. Oh, it crawled up its Bruh. so quickly, though. Oh, I loved it. Like, by the second year... All right, but go ahead. Uh, I love I love the stench. Okay. Um, but, um, uh, so because of that, I kind of stayed away from those those things because when I would see it, I would be like, eh, I got fables. I don't need this. Yeah. So tell me a story. I wished it well because of Dorian and yes, everything like absolutely. that. But I, I just kind of like backed off. But as always happens, I find myself in bed looking over Tawana's shoulder and she was watching tell me tell me a story and i sat there watched a few episodes i was like got into this whole little three little pigs thing of which dorian's right? a part of right the whole um big bad wolf and red riding hood deal with the teacher i'm like you know i'm kind of thinking this yeah I'm thinking yeah. like a little little bit of this mystery here. And I keep forgetting to say that because like you said, and I'm, I'm I'm exactly the same way. Like I kept meaning to watch it mm-hmm. just because of Dorian. Right. Because like you said, this is something that not for one second I would have watched. Right. Me neither. And uh, because the other joint, I, I don't know if you said, what's, what's the joint that, that was coming on ABC? Once Upon a Time. Once Upon a Time, which I don't understand why Bill Willingham didn't sue him. I guess you can't really sue. Because they, they, they all... It's they just, tweaked it. Yeah. They tweaked it. Not for one second did I plan on watching this, but the same thing. And it was on my radar because of Dorian. Watched the episode, said, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Watched another episode, said, oh, okay. And I've been meaning to say it for like a month and a half now. Right. Right, so so yeah, so uh, Dorian, good on you, dude. Good on you, brother. Good on you. Good on you, brother. Good stuff going there. Oh, and congratulations to Simone. She's cast on the second season of Altered Carbon. Talking about stuff that I had no interest in watching whatsoever, but now I'm like, oh, well, let me go back and watch this thing. Okay, so now I got to finish Altered Carbon because I watched. I started watching Altered Carbon. I that's the one started. with Joel Ketterman. I, I mean, sure, all right. And like I said, I've not watched one episode. I, watched, I just saw she's on it, and I said, oh, I got to go watch it. I watched two episodes of it. It was interesting. Okay, and I watched it actually on the uh, on the advice uh, on recommendation of a friend of mine, this doctor friend of mine, and I was like, okay, let me watch this. It was interesting, but it was slow. 
Right. So I was like, oh, I don't know if I got time, dog. I'm about to say Tom is always the enemy. You know what I mean? And especially it was around that time when, you know, you're doing a ton of stuff and it's one of those things that you gotta be watching because it's one of those shows that's a lot of there's a lot of quiet moments. Right. Which means that there's stuff happening. Right. But you, so you can't take your eyes off it. So I can't be doing that, doing something else and watching this. Right. So but now Simone's gonna be on season two. Right. So now I gotta watch. Now it. I gotta watch it. I have to. So I ha- I have to I have to give it his chance. Yeah, it's it it's, chance. it's on my to do list now. So so congratulations. Oh, oh one more one more thing. One more. <laughs> Over Tawana's shoulder. Yes. I've also started catching up on Queen Sugar. Yeah. See, you know I don't have to catch up on Queen Sugar. <laughs> I know you're caught up. You you know. I watch Queen Sugar in real time. Like, I'm sitting through commercials with Queen Sugar. <laughs> yeah, I can't do that. I can't do that. No, no. I got to watch the commercial for right. I don't watch. I, I, how, how you doing? Because, like, usually I need a hug after Queen Sugar. Um, I'm digging it. Okay. I'm good because I have to keep it 100. Yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely. The aesthetic of Queen Sugar is Gorgeous. Yes. It's a gorgeous show. The acting is on point. Yeah, what's the problem? I could use a little bit more Hollywood, to be fair, you know, (laughs) of my man. But there is a bit of it, and I haven't caught haven't watched all of season three, because that's the most Mm -hmm. recent season. Um there is a bit of it that's a lot of talking, not a lot of action well i think so much of it this year is fallout right and in the right from from season from from season two and 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 sort of dealing with the repercussions of decisions that were made and i think the nature of fallout is a lot of conversation because of your it's reflection because it's reflection and and you know not confront not confrontation right but but talking it through mm-hmm. so I agree with you but whereas it sounds like you see that as a critique I see that as an attribute right so but but it's certainly a different pace yeah. And, it's and, certainly a different pace, and and that's and and that's what I'm maybe having a little trouble th- with. Um, I felt it actually towards the middle part of season two, but right. I you know shouldered on and got through it. Right, and now I'm feeling it in the beginning and of it, season three. Right, if you're watching it in chunks, it's probably a lot. And and that could be true. Yeah. That could be it too. So, which is why actually after watching like a couple episodes yeah. of season three, I was like, you know what. I need to shut you down for a minute. I have to say, I think Queen Sugar actually works well week to week. I can see that. Because you need, you actually need a week mm-hmm. to kind of sit in it mm-hmm. and then go back. I feel you. So I feel you. So go ahead and catch up and then next year watch it in real time. I, I can't watch it in real time. Why can't you watch it in real time? I can't I can't do commercials. Oh no. I don't mean I don't mean like real time like real time like that, but just once a week. Okay. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah just once yeah. a week. So, yeah. 
But uh, so but you know, hey, it's good stuff though. Hey man, I can't knock it. It's a beautiful, it's a beautiful piece it, of work. It it is good to have people that you know in good projects. Yes, isn't it though? So isn't you know. it though? Shout out to so it's uh, not so like it's not awkward. No. <laughs> so so then I guess we should continue to pay it forward. Shout out to Ryan Sands. Yes, for uh the Runaways, which I've not finished. But it's good. I know. For what it is. I'm, I'll yeah. be honest. Runaways is not meant for, I don't think it's meant for me. No, 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 But no, I no, dig no. it. It's I dig it. what it's and, doing. And, and I have to say, to just real quick into the comic world, I um, Runaways is one of my favorite comics of the past decade. Mm. Like, like, I really, really like the series. And I think the show captures the spirit of it. Yeah. Very well. Yes, it you does. Know, I will say cha- that they, they made, made some, some changes, changes, but they've really captured the spirit of it. So you're right. You know, again, it's nice to have people that you know in good projects. Yes. So yes. it's not awkward. Yeah. You know. Hey, you see my newest thing? Without wearing a dress and was eating chitlins and and I was working as a maid in that man's house and I haven't caught that yet. No. All right. But I have to look it up. Muscle tough to all involved. Yes. All right, ladies and gentlemen, let's get into 1972's Lady Sings the Blues. We'll be right back with our movie review after we step to these messages. I'd go down too. 
brilliant new dimensions to her career as actress and artist in a performance that comes from the heart and reaches the soul. Lady Sings the Blues. Lady Sings the Blues is a 1972 American biographical drama directed by Sidney Fury about jazz singer Billie Holiday loosely based on her 1956 autobiography, which in turn took its title from one of Holiday's most popular songs. Produced by Motown Productions for Paramount Pictures, Diana Ross portrayed Holiday alongside a cast including Billy D. Williams, Richard Pryor, James Callahan, and Scatman Crothers. The film was nominated for five Academy Awards, including Best Actress in a Leading Role, Best Art Direction, Set Direction, Best Costume Design, Best Music, Original Song Score and Adaptation, and Best Writing Story and Screenplay based on factual material or material not previously published or produced. 1972's Lady Sings the Blues was the choice of Lynn Webb. Lynn what say you of Lady Sings the Blues? Before I tell you what I say of Lady Sings the Blues, let me share with you what some critics said of Lady Sings the Blues at the time of its release. Okay. Vincent Canby of the New York Times described Diana Ross's performance as an actress of exceptional beauty and wit who was very much involved in trying to make a bad movie work. Her only apparent limitations are those imposed on her by a screenplay and direction seemingly designed to turn a legitimate legend into a whopper of a cliche. Roger Ebert, however, gave the film three stars out of four, writing that Diana Ross has given one of the great performances of 1972. Gene Siskel of the Chicago Tribune also gave the film three out of four stars, writing that the fact that Lady Sings the Blues is a failure, it's a biography of legendary jazz singer Billie Holiday doesn't mean it can't be an entertaining movie and it is just that, entertaining because of an old-fashioned grand dame performance by Diana Ross, late of the pop rock scene in the title role. And Pauline Cahill of the New Yorker wrote that when the movie was over, I wrote I love it on my pad of paper Factually, it's a fraud, but emotionally, it delivers. It has what makes movies work in, for a mass audience. Easy pleasure, tawdry electricity, personality, great 
quantities of personality. That's what these critics said of Lady Sings the Blues starring Dinah Ross, Billy D. Williams, and Richard Pryor. Proof positive that these critics all suffered from momentary blindness in 1972 when they saw this film. Lady Sings the Blues is a fable, a fractured fairy tale, mind you, of the life of the legitimately great and legitimately tragic Billie Holiday, as told through the sinewy bones and dead eyes and weird cackle of Diana Ross under the direction of one Sidney Fury who is best known as the director of 1981's The Entity, mm-hmm. a movie that Martin Scorsese said was the scariest movie of all time. Mm-hmm. Oh, Martin Scorsese didn't see Lady Sings the Blues. Mm-hmm. This movie does not know what it wants to be because when this movie opens up and it's, it's in staunch black and white, as you see Diana Ross as Billie, D- as, uh, Billie Holiday being arrested and fingerprinted and photographed and basically thrown into a cell. You've got these jump cuts of uh, bleach black and white photography, mm-hmm. some um, actual, you know, film of, of, of her moving, you know, uh, and you have music that is right out of 1970s crime drama so in my mind i'm like oh man we are going to we are in for some goodness right now because we are they are treating the story of billy holiday as like this riveting you know like real true crime story which some would argue that perhaps it is her her story her 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 upbringing as a as a as a teenager um through the through the streets of New York and 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 the jazz clubs uh, is definitely and, and her you know her uh her drug abuse and her many marriages are actually mm-hmm. the stuff of legend and that is rife for a a, a, te- a distilling in a film in 1972 the trouble is is to two uh, points of of trouble with this film. One, they based this on her 1956 autobiography where Billie Holiday, along with like a co-writer, kind of romanticized a lot Mm -hmm. of stuff that has happened in her life. You know, it's it's told from her, you know, rose-colored point of view. And mind you, 1956, this is what, I think, three years before she dies. I was about to say, I don't know even how much she wrote it. Exactly. Like you said, co-writer, but it is kind of wink-wink, nudge-nudge. Yeah, Yeah. and and who knows where her mindset was Mm -hmm. at this point. Absolutely. She probably was in either either coming off or 
on her way back on to some type of drug drug mm-hmm. habit. Absolutely. Uh, so you you've got that going up against it, and then you have Diana Ross, mm-hmm. who, as much as I will celebrate the legend that is Diana Ross, as far as in films has proven to be her own worst enemy. This film, when this this movie is brought to Barry Gordy of motion, of of Motown fame to produce, the the producer behind it actually um says that he wants he wants Diana Ross. He sees Diana Ross in this in this movie. I, I believe it's James Weston is the, the producer at that point. Yeah, oh yeah. He says, I see Diana Ross doing this film. Barry Gordy, probably at that time, in and out of a relationship with, with Diana Ross, probably. Um, it's murky. It's murky, definitely. A little messy, definitely messy. But he, at that point, is like, I don't see Diana being able to pull this off. Right. I don't see it. But Diana Ross... Um, just stepping away from the Supremes, looking to make as big a mark as she can in as many fields as she can. So singing, acting as well, is demanding, yo, I want this role. And what the boss wants, the boss gets. Because Diana Ross at that time could basically write her own ticket. It's my house and I live here. Yes. Um, and that means that nobody else can live live here. Even so much as casting a younger person to play a teenage <laughs> Billie Holiday. Yeah. So you know this movie is in trouble when it opens up and Diana Ross <laughs> has her hair plaited up. That shows that she's 14. <laughs> and then in case you didn't know, you got Wheezy coming out. Oh, The, the little girl ain't nothing but 15 oh, years old. no. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, we are in oh, for a bumpy ride. Oh, boy. If you didn't think it, if it, so if you were sold the bill of goods that that uh. real dramatic opening brings you and you are sold on on Diana Ross's you know um a a a drug adult look mm-hmm. in that opening in the, right in the opening which right. which some would say is realistic some would say is maybe a little over the top sure i don't know but it certainly it certainly is gripping mm-hmm. if you if you're sold and you are like like in your seats like oh man you you are buckled up ready for some good movie Man, you are getting off the bus when her plats come running around <laughs> in this brothel. <laughs> and we're meant to believe that some drunk dude wants her, Diana Ross, built like the scarecrow. I mean, come. I mean, I don't, with plaits uh, in her hair. I think that's. I think that unfortunately is realistic. Uh, well, no, she's realistically, yes, yeah, she's built like the scarecrow, and she's got plaits in her hair. But you were meant to believe that that dude, yes, so wants, this big, big drunk dude wants her. Yes, wants a little girl. Yes, 
I don't. Yeah. Okay, okay, all right. I, I wasn't even seeing the little girl yeah. aspect. I was like yeah. being. A, okay, all right, all right. Strike that. Yeah. Strike that. Yes, and that and that is that is icky in all its ickiness. And and to be fair, they present it as icky. They do. Like they, they do. say, this is icky. Yes, they do not romanticize right. this in, so, in any know. way. This is not sweet. But go ahead, go ahead. I didn't mean song. to cut you off. Go ahead. Um, so so from there, this movie is is lost because everything that might be celebrated about this film from the um, from the 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 the, the the set design, which does try to harken back to the early 30s, 40s, tries to be in lockstep with the, with the times, to the performances. You know, everybody celebrates, you know, Richard Pryor's performance as Piano Man, mm-hmm. which was, uh, I believe, if it wasn't, it certainly sound was greatly improvised by him, um, to... Billy D. Williams, who definitely makes his mark as a leading man in this movie. I don't think he's doing any any great lifting mm-hmm. uh, acting wise, but he certainly is, you know, the presence. You know, this is the this is the introduction of Billy D. Williams uh, on 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 the scene, and it is, and it is and it is felt. You know, all of that is is celebrated. And then it is just knocked down by whatever the hell Diana Ross is doing acting wise mm. in this movie, because I feel that she is all over the place. She is easily, in my estimation, the weak link mm. in this movie. I don't, I don't buy her. As this character, this Billy, this Billy Holiday that she's trying to portray. One, I don't buy that character as Billy Holiday. I mean, some of the trappings are there. Yes, she's drug. She's a drug abuser. Yes, she's a, 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 a lounge singer and, and everything like that. Yes, she is a little bit off the wall. Um, but I don't buy her character in any of these scenes. When she comes upon a lynching, which is the inspiration right, for right. Strange Fruit, I don't buy her reaction to that. Um, I when she um, when she when she even has to go and sing a song, she basically goes and. Uh, um, makes a star of herself by going across the street to this to this uh club and just, just saying like yo you you you've got to take me you got to take me and I'm going to sing this song for you I don't buy that I don't, I just I just don't buy any of her crazy energy at all in the big dramatic scene that happens between her and piano man and these guys come in to to see them she's running around like a chicken with her head cut off I don't even buy her acting crazy then I don't buy anything that she's doing in this movie when she sings, she admittedly, purposefully is not trying to imitate Billie Holiday, which right. is smart because she does not have a Billie Holiday voice. She doesn't even try to sing like Billie Holiday. Um, so, but there are some people saying that she's not singing like Diana Ross either. 
I don't know whether or not she's not singing Di- like Diana Ross. Whatever she's doing, I'm not feeling any of the songs. I know I'm meant to feel some of the songs, mm-hmm. and I'm meant to feel some of the phrasing of the songs, but I don't. I don't feel anything from any of those musical performances. Be- maybe it's because her dead eyes just aren't conveying anything to me. You know, um, Maybe it's because I feel that the direction in this film... Well, not, you know, bad per se is is pedestrian at best. I don't think there's anything there's any, there's no, you know, uh, nothing great to the to the direction. I don't think there's anything great to the screenplay by uh Susan DePoss and uh Chris Chris Clark. Um the soundtrack, the music I think in a vacuum in and of itself is pleasant enough, mm-hmm. but I'm such a Billie Holiday fan that it just makes me want to go get the real real right. deal, uh, as opposed to Diana Ross singing it. Diana Ross gets it over well enough, I guess. Like I said, it, it, the soundtrack playing in your house, you're digging it. You're like, you know, hey, you know, it's whatever. As performed on, on screen, just doesn't do anything for me. Uh, the movie is way too long Mm -hmm. um and it starts off with her being thrown in prison and then by the way the by the time the movie um and then everything is basically seen in flashback and by the by the time it catches up with the with the opening you quickly realize oh we're not at the end of the movie though right and then they basically have to rush right that last half hour right to fit it in uh, so much so that uh, Billie Holiday's story feels a little bit incomplete. I I can ride with the notion of not wanting to show her death, right? Um, and wanted to leave her at her most triumphant, which was at Carnegie Hall, right? Carnegie Hall. I can I can understand that 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 uh, storytelling decision but then your direction of the Carnegie Hall performance just has to blow it out the water you then you've got to leave us on a crescendo of crescendos and I feel that this movie just did not stick that landing at all um, I know this is a movie that is celebrated by, I, I just read, by a great many people. And, and Diana Ross was nominated for the Academy Award. She lost to, um, I think she lost to Lil, uh, Liza Minnelli for Cabaret. Okay. Um, which some would say is probably not fair. I was about to say Cabaret is no better than this. Oh, or, no. or rather her performance. Well, no, well, no. Well, no. Well, well, Cabaret got, I mean, y- you want to talk about the, the Oscars. Yeah. Diana Ross to Liza Minnelli in Cabaret. Um, Joel Gray won the best Oscar for Cabaret against Al Pacino in right. The Godfather. Right. So, 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 oh God, so 1972 was not the Academy's finest oh hour. My God. Um, that being said, and without knowing what else was on the table, right. I myself find it hard-pressed for them to have nominated, you know, Diana Ross. I understand from what I'm saying, uh, Cecily Tyson was also nominated for Sounder 
I believe as well. Oh, and she's and, better. She was better. And than I would have, I would have <laughs> given it. She was better than both of them. Both of them. I would have yeah. given it to Cecily Tyson. Yeah, because she's good and sounder. Yes. Um. So. Uh, you know, I remember watching this film when I was younger and not really understanding what I was seeing. Mm-hmm. Um, and seeing it around the same time that I discovered Mahogany. So I certainly didn't see either of these movies first run. Sure. And kind of confusing the two. Right. But there, and I think in confusing the two, I always walked away with, oh, those were both, you know, pretty decent movies. Yeah. I have to see it again. Right. But I, I, there's a part of me that wants to say, think Mahogany may be the better movie. Right. Um, I think Mahogany might be better than this. But I really like Mahogany. Mm-hmm. And I disagree with you. I think this is a really good movie. Wow. And I think there are aspects. I think there are pieces here that could be transferred for reasons I'll say momentarily. That could turn it into a great movie. Mm-hmm. Okay. Start from the outside in. I give the set design more credit than you do. Like, I thought the set design was really well done. I thought the costumes were great. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you know, you didn't mention it, but this is a film that almost immediately went over budget. And I think it's all on the screen. Mm-hmm. Just the way it looks. I love the the sort of cavalcade of older black actors that kind of run through there that mm-hmm. side, that sort of you know get, you know gave me a good feeling i think the direction is i think that sydney fury is it, it even before i read anything about him i could tell that he was a seasoned director mm-hmm. because i think this is a really well directed film i think the storytelling is fantastic as far as getting from space to face. You, you know, there are moments where she transitions and becomes a prostitute, mm-hmm. and they never say this is a moment that she becomes a prostitute. No, but it's conveyed so smoothly where she kind of puts down a brush, and then there's a picture of her with some other women, and then now she's a prostitute. I think the first time she's exposed to drugs, I think that's a great. A, a great storytelling um, decision. I think um, various shots and 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 various way various stagings. Uh, I'll talk about Billy D. Williams in a moment, but I think Sydney Fury understands that Sydney Sydney Poitier that um, <laughs> Billy D. Williams is the prettiest thing in this movie, and he is shot that way. Yep. He is. I think he also understands that Billy D. Williams is a man who does not have many tools. And, you know, just to shift to what I think is, I think it's a good script. And I think the decision, like you think before you watch it, and I think you're right that 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 you it, you very much put this together with Mahogany. And whereas Mahogany really is a film about the relationship between these two people. Mm-hmm. Billy D. Williams quietly is not in this film as much as you would think the romantic lead would be. That's true. Like he really does go in and out of the film. 
And I thought that was a smart decision because I love Billy D. Williams. But I also understand that Billy D. Williams is not one to do a lot of dramatic heavy lifting. Richard Pryor, we've talked about Richard Pryor previously. I think nailing down Richard Pryor is amazingly difficult. Mm-hmm. And you can count on one hand the films that do it well. Much like Billy D. Williams, but I think for different reasons, I like his space in this film. Mm-hmm. You know, I think he and Diana Ross had wonderful camaraderie. Like, you get the sense they're actually friends. Yes, well, yeah, yeah. I think Billy D. Williams and Diana Ross have wonderful camaraderie. Oh, I think they very much seem like a, like you completely understand why people wanted to put them together. Like they look like they're a couple. Mm-hmm. Oh, I I think the dinner scene between them was the the, uh, the early dinner scene when he takes her out. When he takes her out the first I time he takes her out. I thought that was absolutely a delightful scene of two charming people infatuated with one another, both smart and clever and good looking, and I thought that was a great scene. Diana Ross, I think something that I've always given Diana Ross, I will say this. I am never going to fight that hard for Diana Ross, the actress, in her skill. What I always say about Diana Ross, and I think it's very apparent in this film, is that as an actress, Diana Ross really has no limitations. Like, she really just leaves it all out there. I think there are two very bad decisions that are made in this film with Diana Ross's acting. We've laughed about it already. Diana Ross playing a 14-year-old is ridiculous. (laughs) Is absolutely ridiculous. I also think that Diana Ross as the -the over-the-top junkie who's out of her mind and halfway insane... Mm -hmm. I thought it was a bad decision to start with that. Oh, the, so to have so, that open the film. To open the film with her, with this very flashy, over-the-top depiction. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because at that point in the film, she hadn't earned it yet. Mm-hmm. You talk about her dead eyes, and I absolutely agree with you that she has these dead eyes. But I think the dead eyes don't come until she becomes a prostitute. I think once she becomes a prostitute, they deaden a little bit, and then they noticeably deaden again once she becomes addicted to heroin. And I think it's a choice. The scene where she's looking for her fix, and she actually, because, you know, we've talked about crazy junkies for like three the years. The bathroom now. scene you talking about? The bathroom about? scene. That's the best scene in the movie. And, and she actually looks like a cornered animal. Like, she actually comes across as a cornered animal. And to pivot back to Billy D. Williams, I don't think Billy D. Williams is the greatest actor, but he's very good in that scene. He's very good in that scene, the scene, and he leaves the bathroom, and it's just him momentarily, and he has a drink, but then he realizes this, he can't do this, and then he tells her to get basically get out of my house. The problem... My biggest problem with this film is that this film is this film. 
like the fact that it is supposed to be Billie Holiday's story. And, you know, right. as you said, this is a, you know, not a fabrication, but it's not even the re it's not even it's like someone made a movie about Billie Holiday that someone told them about Billie Holiday. Right, right. You you know all of 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 her backstory and 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 her history and the things that she actually went through and you know as as you pointed out the 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 chronology is all jammed together and it's not where it's supposed to be. I will say this in the film's defense. I think a lot of what we know about Billie Holiday, for instance, part of the reason she didn't get her saloon license, or rather her license to perform in New York, the FBI had actually been, frankly, tormenting Billie Holiday. Yes. Since, you know, after she released Strange Fruit. Mm-hmm. But I don't know how much people actually knew that in 1972. But it's almost, you know, the irony is Dream Girls is inspired, as they say, by the story of the Supremes, mm-hmm. but you know, by filing off the serial number, then you have the <laughs> liberty to do all these other things. I wish that Lady Sings the Blues would have been a dream girl situation where it was about a Billie Holiday type singer, right? So then it would have been liberated from these other assets because I think you're, I think you're absolutely right. I, I think Diana Ross. And I've always thought this, that Diana Ross performing Billie Holiday songs, I mean, pales in comparison isn't even the proper phrase. And and everything that makes Billie Holiday songs, Billie Holiday songs, is lost in her performance. You know, the, it's all absence. Right. The irony for me is that the weakest part of Diana Ross's performance in this film is when she sings. Mm-hmm. Because what makes Diana Ross, Diana Ross, has to do with so much other than the quality of her voice. Right. It's the performance. It's the performance. Whereas right. Billie right. Holiday, it really is the pain and the emotion and the phrasing and everything it's that all her has voice. to do with her voice. Yes. And when you take that out, you really do get this, this, this smash. But yeah. Or, or rather, this some something is lost in translation. Mm-hmm. But I I in I enjoyed this film. It, it's way too long. I agree with you about that as well. It's it's way too long. Yeah, man. And and I suspect part of that had to do with again this film being handcuffed to the biographical elements that they had to kind of try and squeeze in and figure out. And and if you and not only that, it's it's like, you know, we have Diana Ross, so you have these extended performances. Exactly. By it becomes her. this vanity piece for her. But again, these extended performances really just show the weakness of her connection to this material. But but I enjoyed the film. I, I want to go really back did. to this dinner you talk about because yes. and this this uh Alchemy that you call chemistry, right? Right. Right. Billy D. Williams plays Louis McKay, who's an amalgamation of of Billy Holiday's husbands. And if you've ever seen 
Lady Sings the Blues, if you, you, or if you've ever seen a scene from it, it's the famous scene with Billy with uh, Louis McKay holding out his arm with the twenty dollar bill in it. And say, you gonna let my arm fall off? And then they go to dinner afterwards. Yes. Now they go they, before they go to dinner. There is actually a more charming scene between Billie Holiday and Richard Pryor's Piano Man. Yes. Where Piano Man is giving her, like, loosely the backstory on this Lewis character. <laughs> yeah. And, like, oh, man, you, know, you, don't, you don't need to be going out there. Right, right. right. You know, you're just going to be one of, one of many. You know what I mean? And I, I actually liked that scene. I liked their tete-a-tete back and forth Mm -hmm. which was in essence you know their friendship especially because that was still their friendship was fresh at that point Mm -hmm. you know what I mean Um, and you 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 felt you also felt with Richard Pryor and and this is why they 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 uh, extended his role so much yeah yeah. he, he just commands the screen yeah. When he's there and he's electric and everybody else is feeding off of that electricity, such as Diana Ross, who it's not hard to imagine in the 1972 is not actually friends with Richard Pryor, who is while he's not the Richard Pryor, he still is enough of a presence, especially on the on the co- comedy scenes that he probably crossed more than a, a enough past with Diana Ross sure. that they were friends. And it seems like they're the type of people that will get along with each other. Right. As opposed to Billy D. Williams, this is still very early in his acting career. Right. Which means that it being uh, early in both Richard and Diana's acting career, this is probably their first run-in with Billy. Mm-hmm. Um, with Billy D. Williams. So it stands to reason that her and Richard Pryor have this friendship and it percolates in that scene. Cut to him going to dinner with Diana Ross. Yeah, and him, Billy D. Williams, and Diana Ross, Lewis, and Billy Holiday on their first dinner. The energy has left the room. I don't know what you are saying. I don't feel nothing. It I, is. It's. Dead I disagree. Cold. I think it's a different energy now. Yeah, it's now, none. It, no, it's turned off. I think the two of them. So you don't think Diana Ross and Billy Dee Williams have chemistry? None. Oh yeah, I, I, I think I, the only time they have chemistry is in that. The only time they have chemistry is the scene in the bathroom, and that's because it, 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 they're fighting. No, no, I mean romantic chemistry. No. Yeah, I, I, I don't believe they have any romantic. You do you buy? That scene, because that scene, then the dinner scene, then cuts to the them in the bed. next morning. Yeah, them and in bed. He tells her, "Leave me alone, because I'm sleepy." Did you? I did not buy. I I did not buy that. I do. I do. I I, I did not. I did not read I think, any chemistry I think off of the them two or, of at them all. Have great chemistry. I think. Quite honestly. What I've always gotten from them, and I'm glad you brought up that where they all are in their respective careers. Mm-hmm. I've always gotten from Billy D. Williams and Diana Ross in this and Mahogany. Billy D. Williams is completely infatuated by the fact that this is Diana Ross. Okay, fair enough. And I think Diana Ross, A, loves that attention. 
Okay. B, Billy D. Williams is actually beautiful. He is a beautiful man. So she loves this attention from this beautiful man. Yes. And what I always get from Billy D. Williams, which I find charming, because he is just like 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 he's just sort of this professionally smooth dude where he's almost a little flummoxed with her like there's a moment at the dinner where he he basically says i i i really like you like i really like you and i'm glad that you're out with me and i always sense that that's actually billy d williams talking to diana ross so that i get that in this I get it, and I get it in my, I mean, you know, they really only made the, the two films together. But I got that in both films, and I do. Okay. I get the chemistry. Oh, I, I don't, because okay. the man who says, do you want my, want my arm to fall off? Yes. His arm falls off. He is no longer in the movie after that, because it, that dude, the dude that Richard Pryor tells her to beware of. Yes. I don't buy that guy. I don't one. I don't buy that guy falling for th- this Billy Holiday. I'm not saying Diana Ross. No, no, no. I'm but saying this, this Billy, Billy Holiday. Okay. And because of her voice. Well, not because of her voice, but because there was. No, I didn't feel any chemistry. Like when he says, "Like you know, I really like you." Why? He absolutely has no. He's. He, I we, think we have been given no reason I for think, him to have developed these feelings I, so quickly. I for think her. at this point, Diana Ross. I do. It's the Diana Rossness. I think. Well, Diana that's Ross, not the script. The script is he's supposed no, no, to be no. falling in no, love. No, 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 no. I, I think there's a script, and I think there's chemistry, and I think regardless of the script. Chemistry is just that. Okay, it is. It is what you now. You know, I, I, I obviously we can't convince each other of what we feel, but I do think that part of what works about the two of them together, whether we're talking again about this or whether we're talking about mahogany, mm-hmm. and you know, fortunately or unfortunately, depending on who you ask. These are really the only two examples of films with Diana Ross. But Billy D. Williams made a career out of being the smooth guy. Yes, he did. And of every instance of Billy D. Williams as the smooth guy, whether we're talking about Bingo Long, whether we're talking about uh, Brian's song, whether we're talking about Empire Strikes Back, whether we're talking about anything. Diana Ross is the only time I have seen Billy D. Williams a little flummoxed. Like, and I do think part of it is not so much the script or, you know, frankly, her acting, but that is Diana Ross. Okay. So, you know, I buy it. I don't. I don't see any. I see zero chemistry between them. Zero. Okay. None. Nada. Indadaka. No. I don't like. I don't, I, you doth protest too much. You know, you've said no like seven times. I said okay, but it's like you're trying. Are you who are you trying to convince? There's no chemistry. Uh-huh. <laughs> and if you say it long enough, <laughs> I, I. Did you think there was any chemistry? 
No. <laughs> I didn't. I did not. Also, I remember as being younger, like really feeling Piano Man's death scene. <laughs> it was. It was. It was wild. I, I just laughed myself. It was silly. Well, it was wild. First of all, it was it was wild. I couldn't quite figure out what was happening. Yeah. Then it was in slow motion. Yes. Yeah. And then he's and then he's he's saying things like "Stop punching me, <laughs> Billy." Well, again, and 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 you know, I completely agree with your assessment. I think once the film catches up to the beginning, it does have this weird sort of rhythm to it. Yeah, it's off kilter. And because I didn't think there was any real buildup to her getting back on drugs when he left. None, none whatsoever. It's like, well, well, you know, we, we know she ends up back on drugs. Yeah, you know what happens. We gotta have some type of situation where Lewis comes and gets her and then we have Carnegie Hall, but it all happens in like 15 minutes. <laughs> I know. I know. It's really uh it's really a shame. Which which then begs the question that I asked out on the internet today. Right. And, um do you think that lady either a lady sings the blues is prime for a remake mm-hmm. or is the story of Billie Holiday worth a whole new telling? I think the story of Billie Holiday is very much worth a whole new telling. And I will cheat because she already played Bessie Smith. But I think Queen Latifah would be great as Billie Holiday. Oh, see. And I love myself some Billie, some some Latifah. I don't know if I see... Her as Billie Holiday. Or, you know who else I think would be good? Don't Jill, say... Jill Scott. Jill Scott would be good. Mm-hmm. Jill Scott would be good. But in an actual Billie Holiday Yeah, story. not Lady Sings yeah, the Blues. Yeah, not Lady Sings the Blues. Now, I could actually see a remake of Lady Sings... Like, I actually, again, in my mind, Lady Sings the Blues is... Like, I almost wish they would remake it and remove every reference to Billie Holiday. Right. Like, do it like Sparkle or, mm-hmm. or you, you know, again. Or Five Heartbeats. Or five, right, right, right. Or Five Heartbeats. Like, do it like Five Heartbeats where you say, oh, that's kind of like mm-hmm. when when Dennis Edwards left. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, but, um. yeah, I think, I think you, you know, the other thing. I suspect that they downplayed some of the more salacious oh, and seedy yeah. aspects of Billie Holiday's yeah. life because they were trying to protect her. Mm-hmm. And I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it, it, it it's like th- this is what makes Billie Holiday Billie Holiday. Yeah. So... Yeah. I almost wish that they would remake Lady Sings the Blues and again just remove all references to Billie Holiday and kind of go for it and then actually make a Billie Holiday film. I would like to see a Billie Holiday film 
as well. Uh, I I think, uh, like you said, I don't know if I see Latifah. I love Latifah. Jill Scott is not a bad a, a bad uh, person. Um, thing is, Billy Billy Holiday is like you know a uh, fair skinned. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you want to try to keep close to her complexion, I'm having a hard time pulling in somebody the the name. Actually, somebody Markham Lee. He actually in 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 answering, he said he didn't want to see a remake being done because if they did, they would cast Beyonce, and he doesn't want to see Beyonce right. doing to this what she did to Eddie James. Which I want to circle back to Beyonce in a moment. Go ahead. Uh, but in that vein, two names come to my mind. I, I too don't believe you need a Lady Sings the Blues remake. Okay. I think Billie Holiday needs a whole new retelling. Yes. That being said, if you wanted to say that if you wanted to do a new retelling of Billie Holiday's story, pull from Lady Sings the Blues and other sources and call it Lady Sings the Blues, I wouldn't mind that either. Okay. But that being said, nevertheless, two names come to my mind. Okay. One, jumping off of the Beyonce recommendation, and I don't know, just something about her 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 vibe makes me think that Solange might not be a bad choice. <sighs> Has Solange ever acted? Who knows? I mean, at one time... Hey, man, she's certainly the more interesting sister. Exactly. And, and Diana Ross, did she she never acted before this. Right, right. You know? Right, right. Uh, some would say she still hasn't. Because she had always liked it. Like, like, I think Solange is the more interesting sister, but I think she had the luxury to be the more interesting sister because Beyonce basically created this space for her. Oh, yeah. So yeah. I just like to, you know, no, yeah, give I don't want to have no backwards. But, yeah, who's the other one? The other one, and, again, I don't think this person has acted either. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think might be able to pull it off is Lettucey. I like Lettucey. Yeah, I've never liked Lettucey. Well, I like Lettucey. I think Lettucey is this. I think Lettucey, well. I'll just say I'm I'm not a fan of lettuce. I like lettuce. I like lettuce a lot. I think lettuce is see, good. What? Come on. Lettuce is like a computer generated RN like she's a computer generated post neo soul R&B singer for 40-year-olds. Oh wow! Like if somebody typed it, wow, somebody had this. a program. Someone said, "I need, I need a a a, a, a post neo soul R and B singer." Like I need like like India Ari, but without the weird clothes. Oh, that's without like the manic. And 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 an intimidating sexuality of Jill Scott. Oh, Vince. Oh, Vince. And she sings well enough. And you get lettucey. Are you serious? Oh, 
that's not like Lettucey sounds like she should have been a backup singer for Jill Scott in like 1997 <laughs> and like when Jill Scott said these are my backup singers and like at the end of the concert and everyone has because like remember when Vivian Green used to sing backup for Jill, Jill Scott and like she would sing and say, and here's Lettucey and Lettucey would sing her part and you would sit in the crowd at the end of the Jill Scott concert and you say you know what she sounds alright she's alright but then, like, a week later, if somebody asked you about her, you'd say, oh, yeah, you know, the, the Joan who sang at the end. It sounds like you're comparing Lettucey to Saida Garrett. Yeah, but without the writing ability. Well, here's another name. Okay. Nona Gay. Oh, Nona Gay too sexy. Nona Gay too sexy. Nona Gay actually had an acting career for a minute. Remember? I know. That's she, what I'm saying. She was too sexy. And she can sing. Nona Gay is actually distracting. I think she could pull off Billie Holiday. Yeah, she's too sexy. What do you mean Mm-mm. she's too sexy? She is actually too sexy. <laughs> That's not fair. Nona Gay is like the female Leon. <laughs> like, Nona Gay is actually... She breaks the entire realm of suspension of disbelief. What was she in? She was in like two or three things in the early 90s. And it was just like, oh, I can't even watch the movie. <laughs> she was in. Let's, let's see. What was she in? It was some movie. She was, she, I can't even. She was remi- in the Matrix movies. Right. In the, and she was in the leather. You couldn't hardly watch like yes, yes. the kung fu yes. and the robots yes. and the everything and then Nona Gay walked cuz she played uh Z. Right. And she walked out in like that natural colored leather joint. It was like, "Damn, <laughs> Nona Gay." <laughs> but she was in something else like in the early 90s. In the early well, no. cuz it was I thought it was a long time between, I'm looking at her, her, her What was she in before the Matrix? Cuz it was something She old. was in Ali. She played Belinda. Right, Ali. she played one of his wives. And that really that's really was it. Yeah, Nona Gay, yeah. Yeah, Nona Gay, she, she's a monster. She, she's come, so, so you say Nona Gay has come down from the hills and she is terrorizing <laughs> the villagers. Yeah, Nona Gay can't play Billie Holiday. Why not? Because you can't can sing. You can't too. even get to the point where she opens her mouth to sing. <laughs> no, you can't. <laughs> yeah, not Nona Gay. <laughs> Nona Gay don't need to do nothing. <laughs> like I'm pretty sure in the new Godzilla movie, like Rodan busts out of the ground, and then Nona Gay comes storming out the woods. <laughs> And starts fighting like Mothra. And then the scientist is like, let them fight. It's not our world, it's theirs. It's like Godzilla, King Ghidra, Space Godzilla, and Nona Gay. (laughs) Yeah, I disagree with Nona Gay. Yeah, she can't do nothing. (laughs) We all just need to keep our own Nona Gay. She's got. I mean, the woman got to eat, Vince. Oh Lord, why can't she? Oh, Lord, have mercy. Can't she? Oof. Oof. I wasn't ready to talk about Nona Gay. <laughs> Oof. She sure was in the Matrix. <laughs> she came out in that leather dress. 
said, oh, Lord, I'm swoozy. Oh, help me, Jesus. I'm glad I'm in the chair. Okay, all she right. Them lips? Oh, my God. Okay, all right, Vince, all right. But back to Lady Six. <laughs> oh, and this is what I wanted to say about Beyonce, because what I said about Beyonce is when Beyonce has been in things, you never forget for one moment she's Beyonce. that she's Beyonce. Sure. 1972, Diana Ross is legitimately a legend. Yeah, yeah. The way she looks in this film, before she's famous, when she's in the, 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 the thralls of drug addiction, she leaves it all there. She leaves it all on the floor. And I've always applauded her. Again, I'm only going to fight about her acting ability so much. Mm-hmm. But, you know, when you read about, you know, she she took acting lessons and got these teachers. And, like, like she, you understand how when people talk about the Supremes, Diana Ross was not the prettiest of the three. Mm-hmm. Nor was she the best singer of the three. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I think Diana Ross's work ethic and her commitment is what propels her. And I think you see that in her performance in Lady Sings the Blues. In a way that people who aspire to be a Diana Ross and to have a Diana Ross-like presence... I have yet to see another performer who aspires to be this sort of poly, poly, um, talented and, 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 and poly. I've not seen any of them with the commitment and the bravery to do what Diana Ross did in Lady Sings the Blues and to a certain extent, Mahogany. Because, you know, in Mahogany, you know, she's like this threadbare Chicago worker until you know she becomes mahogany like mm-hmm. halfway through the film and then she's you know basically dresses diana ross <laughs> so so yeah i give her credit for that too there you go so would you recommend lady sings the blues oh i want to say no just go straight to mahogany right but in fairness, it's probably, I mean, this is definitely the first time in at least 30 years that I saw Lady Sings the Blues. So it's been equally as long since I've seen Mahogany. Right. So it's not fair for me to say that. Right. And I do think that, I think there's maybe still enough, as much as I didn't like the film, there's still enough there for me to recommend people see this film. Okay. Uh, because, you know, even even if on a fractured fable level, you're learning something about Billy D- Billy Holiday. Right. Um, you're seeing maybe one of Richard Pryor's best performances, certainly one of his most heralded performances. Sure, sure. Uh, and, you know, my criticism be damned, you are seeing a Academy Award nominated performance by Dan by Diana Ross. Right. And there are some 
camera moments. I won't say acting, but there are some camera moments where the camera does capture her almost still like that are very effective okay. and affecting. So I would recommend people see Lady Sings the Blues. Okay. I would as well. I would as well. And 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 I, again, really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. And I think it is a well-done production. I, I think, you, you know, the, the, the sets, the costumes, the, the, the direction. Mm-hmm. I, I actually like the script. I think there are great moments in the script. Um, I, I think, you know, as, as we mentioned, Richard Pryor's performance, I think this is maybe the best handling of Billy D. Williams that I've seen. Because, again, I like Billy D. Williams, but I also have no illusions about Billy D. Williams. Mm-hmm. And I think this film, that you know, you put him in a pretty suit, you give him some lines, you shoot him like he's the prettiest thing on the set, you don't ask that much from him. Mm-hmm. And then let him go for 10 minutes, 10, 15 minutes, and then he comes back in and reminds you. I like Diana Ross's performance. I I will grant you that the the the, the bad decisions that I think the, the script and Sidney Fury make with her performance happen very early so that I can understand that once these bad decisions happen, not coming back from that. Mm-hmm. I will also grant you this as far as the um the aura of Diana Ross. Like when we were talking about the chemistry and 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 I think that that Diana Ross in 1972 that aura that that she is this sort of post Supremes Diana Ross may not necessarily translate through time. It worked for me because in my mind, Diana Ross is always that Diana Ross. But, you know, in in full disclosure, I bring that with me. Right. So if you don't bring that with you, you may not see what the big deal is. But, but yeah, I enjoyed Lady Sings the Blues a great deal. I'd very much recommend it. Well, there you go, ladies and gentlemen. There you have it. Lady Sings the Blues. Here on the Me Show Mission. Um, Before we tell you what's coming up next week, we have a couple of production notes that we have to let you know. Uh, If you are looking in your podcast feed for this week's edition of Spock Adjacent. Well, look no more because it ain't there. (laughs) Um, Vince and I actually um, got very busy um, over the last few days putting together a couple of things that, that have going on here in Michaud land. And we just didn't have the, the bandwidth to do Spock adjacent this week. <laughs> Just keeping it real for you. So next week, we will bring you another edition of Spock adjacent, which will be a review of two episodes. So you'll have a, 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 a bountiful Spock adjacent to yeah. look forward to next week. 
that's what it means. Also, I want to give people a heads up. In July, the Michelle Mission is returning to Brooklyn. And this time we are going back to Brooklyn as part of the Blurred City Conference. Yeah. It is a, um, a con slash conference of your more uh, erudite black nerds and geeks that goes on in uh, the beautiful planet of Brooklyn. And they have asked the Me Show Mission to do a live show there yeah. this July. So um, I believe the dates are actually still being worked out. I know it's going to be a Saturday in July, but once we have all of that information together, we will let you know. But we just wanted to uh, let you, uh, you know, put a pin on a Saturday in July so you can come check out the Micho Mission live at Blurred City Con in Brooklyn, New York. Should be a good time. Uh, we actually, we actually are, are wrangling to have a very special guest there. Yeah. Uh, the musings is up. Should announce yes, that. Yes, the musings are up. The Michelle Mission blog musings has another entry. Yeah. This time uh, from Michelle Missionary Mo Poplar, who has written a little tryst called the Magic Negro and the Magic. Pixie da- Dancing Girl? Yeah. Yeah. There's an interesting Manic little... Pixie Dancing Manic. Girl. Manic. That's yeah. what it is. I knew mm-hmm. it wasn't Manic. Magic. Uh, the Manic Pixie Dancing Girl. So the Magic Negro and the Manic Pixie Dancing Girl by Mo Poplar is up on our musings page on MichelleMission.com. You can check that out. We've put a link up on the Facebook group as well as on Twitter. So you can find it there as well. It's an interesting read. Yeah. Interesting, interesting read. Um, I think that's about all of the news. I think so. I think think so. We're all caught up. We're all caught up. Next week, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to have a very special guest. We're going to have Joss Duncan. Hey. Who is the program director of WURD 900 AM radio here in philadelphia she is going to come on to talk about one of her favorite black films that she will tell us sometime this week because (laughs) uh and once she does we will let you know what it is but she is joining us as part of women history month yeah so it will be a lot of fun look for that next week and then uh upcoming later on this month vince and i sit with Noted Philadelphia journalist and activist Denise James to review the color purple. Yes. Mm. Yes, indeed. Yeah. So that'll that'll be coming up later in March. Uh, Women History Month, ladies and gentlemen. It's it's, it's going to be a lot of fun here on the Me Show Mission, which you can find as a radio show in a very edited format. On 106.5 FM WPPM Philly Cam P 
People Powered Media here in Philadelphia and New Jersey. And you can wake up every Monday and spend your morning with me show at 9 a.m. on WKDU 91.7 FM, the voice of Drexel University. This show will be available as all the shows that you find of the Michelle Mission on MichelleMission.com as well as on the Podglomerate, Podglomerate.com, a our network of curated podcasts just for you. It's also available for your download streaming pleasure on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, Spotify, Google Play, and any place and every place that you find your favorite podcast. If you want to do us a favor on the podcatcher of your choice, please leave us a ranking and a rating because that really, 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 really helps people find our show. Okie dokie. Okie dokie. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that'll... That's enough of that. He's Vince. I'm Len. In parting, we say. We'll see you when it's time to meet again.
Now it's time to bid adieu. It's been a pleasure knowing you. I'll see you when it's time to meet again. <laughs>